Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless our Ramadans and uh, allow us to understand the Quran. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen wa salatu wa salamu ala al-mab'uuthi rahmatan lil'alameen wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa baraka wa sallama tasliman kathiran ila yawmiddin amma ba'd. Qala Allahu tabaraka wa ta'ala fil Quran al-majid wa al-furqan al-hamid. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم قل هو الله أحد الله الصمد لم يلد ولم يولد ولم يكن له كفوا أحد الحمد لله yesterday we completed a discussion about the order of the verses and how they are divinely ordained and they're not something that uh, was done later and it cannot be changed. Today we move on to the surahs now, the order of the surahs, the 140 surahs, chapters as we call them, right? Um, there may have been a bit of confusion yesterday between the 30 chapters of the Quran and the 114 chapters of the Quran. So the 114 are the real chapters of the Quran, the 30 sections that, that have been made that generally people refer to as chapters, chapter 1, chapter 2. You can call them chapters as well, I mean it's just a translation issue, but that's a later development. So now the surahs of the Quran, the arrangement therein as well, according to the overwhelming majority of ulama is also uh, divinely ordained. It's also from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and it's not something that a sahaba made up or the sahaba did in, in some way or the other. There is a slight difference as to whether the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam verbally stated put it here and have this surah after this one or whether it's what the Prophet sallallahu actually did that when he recited a few surahs together did he recite one after the other. So there is a difference of how they came up with this as to whether the Prophet clearly stated it uh, explicitly or he did it based on his action of how he recited it. So there is a view, there is actually one other view which is of Ibn Atiyah and a few other ulama who say that yes, the majority of the surahs of the Quran are definitely God-ordained, right, from the Prophet like for example the, the seven long surahs, the sab'at tiwal, the, ham, the hawamim, the various hamims, they call hawamim by the way, right? Then the mufassalat, the mufassalat, these are the surahs from uh, Surah Al-Hujurat uh, in, uh, in the Juz 26, Surah Al-Hujurat, uh, until the end. And they are then further split up into the long uh, mufassalat, the medium ones and the shorter ones. So, قُلْ عَوْضُ بِرَبِّ الْفَلَقِ all of these will be from the short ones. Then, for example, the long ones will be uh, will be uh, all the way, you know, all um, Suratul Hujarat, all the 28th Jews, the 29th Jews, and so on. And then in between, you've got the uh, the medium ones. So these are considered the various different sources. So all of these, he he, according to this small group of scholars, they say that these were known. It's in the lifetime of the Prophet Sallallahu it was known exactly um, how, it was known exactly, you know, which surah went where. However, there were a few other surahs maybe in which the order was slightly, uh, what was agreed on by the Sahaba. And they take this from uh, one hadith from Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu. And you'll understand that it's actually a misunderstanding of it. But they take this from uh, Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu. 
Ibn Abbas anhu said to Uthman radiallahu anhu, remember Uthman radiallahu anhu, you have to remember he's considered the compiler of the Quran. Okay, so uh, Uthman radiallahu anhu, they said to him that why did you take Suratul Anfal, uh, Suratul Anfal, which is from the Mathani, and then which is followed by Suratul Bara'a, Bara'atun min Allahi wa Rasulihi. Basically, for your information, the only surah in the Quran that does not have a Bismillah written before it is Suratul Bara'a. The one before it is Suratul Anfal. So he's saying Suratul Bara'a is from the Mi'een. You see, you've got the you've got the long surahs, which are the first several surahs. Then after that, you've got the Mi'een, which are the the surahs with approximately an average of a hundred verses. They call them Mi'een because the word Mi'a means a hundred. So those surahs afterwards, which are in the middle there, they are called Mi'een. So Bara'a is from the Mi'een, whereas uh, Suratul Anfal is from the, the, the larger surahs and you've combined the two together and you've not written Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim in between. Because the idea is that the Bismillah is a separator between surahs. So if Bismillah is not written there, that means that it's part of the previous surah. However, it does have in, as we see it today, it does have like a separate surah sign. So that's the question that he asked him. So Uthman anhu said that, look, the Prophet various surahs would be revealed upon him. And whenever a certain surah would be revealed, he would say that put these verses in this surah uh, in which such and such a thing is mentioned. So they were not necessarily, they, all the surahs in the time of the Prophet didn't necessarily all have uh, uh, fixed names. That some of the surahs have been referred to by two different names. Uh, like today, you know, you, there are certain surahs, Bani Israel, Suratul Isra, two names. Suratul Qital, Suratul Muhammad. There are uh, more than one name for many of the surahs. Uh, so the names are not necessarily all worth, uh, were not necessarily all fixed. So sometimes they would say that put the, these verses in that particular surah in which, for example, the uh, you know the spider is mentioned. For example, right, An Kabut or the spider web uh, is mentioned. So the other thing that he explained is that Suratul Anfal. The first of those two surahs, right? Suratul Anfal was one of the first surahs to be revealed in Medina Munawwara because it talks about the spoils of war and that's related to the laws. Whereas Suratul Bara'a is one of the last of the surahs to be revealed in the Quran. It's one of the last surahs to be revealed. So also Suratul Anfal, Suratul Bara'a, their subject matter is very, very similar. They share a very similar subject matter. It's all about war, jihad, battle, the, uh, what do you call it? exoneration from disbelievers, from the mushrikeen, all of that conversation is in both of those surahs. So they're very, very similar. So when the Suratul Bara'a was revealed, which is one of the last surahs to be revealed, according to this narration, by the according to this narration, the Prophet ﷺ passed away and he did not clarify that this Suratul Bara'a or selection of verses making up Suratul Bara'a, is it part of Suratul Anfal or not? That this Suratul Bara'a, without calling it a Surah, if you just take it as a set of verses, are they part of Suratul Anfal or not? So, the subject matter is very, very close. We didn't know it was a separate Surah entirely or not. So, that's why um, we put them together. But I did not, Uthman anhu said, I did not write a Bismillah in between, right? So that's why I placed it with the first, I placed it among 
the, uh, uh, I gathered it among the first seven. So actually that's the eighth surah. But he's linking it to the seventh surah, which is Surah Al-Anfal, is the seventh surah. That means he's adding the, this to the first seven collection, which are called Sab'u'l-Tiwal, the seven long surahs, right? This hadith is related by Imam Ahmad and Imam Ibn Hibban and Hakim and so on. However, the ulama say that you can't really take from this hadith this idea that there was this confusion about this. And I'll explain why, right? Uh, for a number of reasons. Firstly, this hadith is, number one, its chain is weak. It's not a sahih hadith. It's not an authenticated narration. It's got weakness in it. Um, there's Yazid al-Farisi in here, he's a, a weak narrator, Imam Bukhari, etc. I've considered him weak. And thus, based on that, it, 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 this is not a hadith that you can establish a main point from. Because of the weakness of this narration, you can't establish such a strong point from here. Also, the second point, that's the isnad, that's its chain. The wording of the hadith itself uh, doesn't seem to... Uh, doesn't seem to go with reality either and the reason is that the Sahaba would recite the Quran and they would take it from the Prophet and they would recite it how is it possible how is it possible that Abdullah ibn Abbas didn't know about this others didn't know about this people were reciting it how did they not know that Anfal is a surah and this is a surah I mean there's so there's a doubt in this whole narration now this is um, there can be a doubt in the narration because it's a weak narration, right? That's why we've got another hadith which Imam Hakim has transmitted in the mus his mustadrak from Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu. He said, I asked Ali radiallahu anhu, Ali ibn Abi Talib radiallahu anhu, that why is there no Bismillah written in at the beginning of Surah Al-Bara'ah? See, because the earlier story from Uthman radiallahu seems to make sense that there's a reason why they did not add the Bismillah. So that seems plausible. But again, the hadith is weak. So there's another hadith in which Ali radiallahu anhu was asked this question. And he said, oh, because Suratul Bismillah is an aman, it's a safety. Uh, in the name of Allah, most gracious, most merciful. Right? There's, it's all about mercy and, uh, and peace and everything like that. Whereas Bara'a, Suratul Bara'a, its whole theme is the sword. It's about fighting. So it doesn't, it's not appropriate to have the Bismillah there and then talk about all of this because there's two different ideas there. That's why uh, the Bismillah was not written before Surah Al-Bara. That's, that's according to this narration. Likewise, Imam Al-Qushaydi, he says that the Sahih opinion, the, the authentic opinion is that the Bismillah was actually not written before Surah Al-Bara because this is the one Surah in which Jibreel did not bring the Bismillah with it. So when he conveyed it to the Prophet ﷺ, there was no Bismillah with it. They, that's why they left it like that. So as you can see, I mean, the conclusion is that there is a difference of opinion as to why Bismillah is not there, right? Uh, and there is a slight difference of opinion as to whether it's a se separate surah or a or a uh, a uh, surah, uh, just part of Surah Al-Anfal. But the stronger opinion is that it's a separate surah, and the reason Bismillah is not written there is either because the theme of it is different to. Uh, 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 it, it's uh, different to the Bismillah or it's because that is just the way it was revealed without a Bismillah and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best but that's essentially how the Ummah has taken it afterwards as well 
There are few. There, there are uh, so there are numerous then evidences for the majority who believe that every single surah, including Surah Al-Bara'ah, was placed in its place by the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, right? And one of the big things is that that is exactly you know we see the Mus'haf Uthmani, right? Which all of our Mus'hafs today, all of our Qurans today, the copy of the Quran is called a Mus'haf, are all according to the Mus'haf Uthman radiyallahu anhu. So Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu is a hadith uh, that Imam Bukhari, uh, rahmatullahi, has related from him, uh, in which he says that Surah Bani Israel, Surah Al-Kahf. So that's Surah Al-Isra, Surah Al-Kahf, Surah Maryam, Surah Taha, Surah Al-Anbiya. Now these are the five surahs in the middle of the Quran in this order. He says, these are innahunna min al-itaq al-awwal. They are from the very early first surahs to be revealed. These five surahs are from the very early first surahs to be revealed. Wahunna min tiladi. And they are also the, the, the earliest surahs that I memorized. They're the, they're the earliest of the surahs that I memorized or compiled together or understood, however you want to take that, because all of these meanings are possible. So this is a Bukhari narration that Abdullah ibn Masood anhu knew the order of these surahs from that time. That shows that there was an order of the surahs. Likewise, there's another hadith in Sahih al-Bukhari that the Prophet said, uh, it's related about the Prophet that whenever he would go to his bed and uh, he would go to his bed each night, he would put his two palms together and then he would blow in them and recite قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدْ and then the مُعَوِّذَتَيْنِ قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ الْفَلَقِ and قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ النَّاسِ Now that again shows an order that he read it in this order. He always read قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ فَرْدْ first قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ الْفَلَقِ then قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ النَّاسِ There's another hadith from Wathila ibn al-Asqa' radiyallahu anhu that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said Now this is a really interesting hadith. Listen just carefully. Imam Abu Dawood al-Tayalisi and others have transmitted it. The Prophet ﷺ said that I have been given in place of the Torah, which is uh, the Torah, right? The, the, the divine scripture of the Jews. In place of that, I've been given a sab'at tiwal, the seven long surahs. That is your Surah Al-Baqarah, Surah Ali Imran, Surah Al-Nisa, and Surah Al-A'raf, Surah Al-An'am. And those are the seven long surahs, right? Which is Baqarah, Ali Imran, Nisa, Maida, An'am, A'raf, Anfal. And um, that's, that's, the, that's the seven long surahs in place of the Torah. I've been given instead of the, in place of the Psalms of David, Dawud alayhi salam, I've been given the Mi'een, the, the surahs in, in, in the middle, which are approximately 100 verses each. And in place of the Evangel, I translate Injil as the Evangel, which is the original of the Bible. Because as you know, today the Bible has gone through quite a bit of change and um, adding and, uh, and taking out of the various different books and so on. So the original Evangel that was revealed upon Isa alayhi salam, right? I've been given in place of that the Mathani, the Mathani, right? And there are the other set of verse, uh, surahs. And then... In addition, in excess of that, so this uh, obviously takes care of the Torah, the Zabur and the Injil, right? the Psalms and uh, the Evangel. I've been given in addition to that the Mufassalat, which means from Surah Al-Hujarat until the end. Those are, uh, they're not in comparison to anything. They are absolutely new for me, which I've been graced with. Uh, there is another view though, that the Mufassalat, 
they don't start from Surah Al-Hujrat. Surah Al-Hujrat, that's pretty much what the majority view is. But there is another view which says that it starts from Surah Qaf, which makes it earlier. There's many more surahs then. But the stronger view is that it's from Surah Al-Hujrat until the end of the Quran, which is about just over three uh, juz of surahs. Abu Ja'far al-Nahas, he comments on this hadith, saying that this is the hadith which tells us that the compilation of the Quran, uh, sorry, the order and the structure of the surahs of the Quran, this was taken directly from the Prophet ﷺ, and this was something that was consolidated and arranged and organized from his time. And that is exactly how then the Qurans have had it all the way through. You will never see a change in that. Right? Sa'id ibn Khalid says that once the Prophet ﷺ, he relates that once the Prophet ﷺ recited the seven long surahs, Alif Lam Mim, uh, from the beginning, Surah Al-Baqarah, Ali Imran, and so on, until Surah Al-Anfal, he recited them in one rak'at. This is a hadith that Imam Ibn Abi Shayba, this is, where, this is in his nights, you know, when he would recite the long surahs, there were occasions when he, when he did this. That's, uh, how many juz is that, about 10 juz? Then you've got another hadith uh, from Hudayfa al-Thaqafi, in a, it's a very long hadith, I'm not going to mention it, Aus ibn Abi Aus, he relates from, hadith, uh, from Hudayfa al-Thaqafi, he said, I asked the Ashab of the companions of the Messenger of Allah وسلم, how do you uh, divide the Quran? Like, how do you make it into hizbs? How do you, how do you, uh, you can say, divide it in, into portions? So they told me, Thalathun, wa khamsun, wa sab'un, wa tis'un, wa ihda ashara, wa thalatha ashara, wa hizbul mufassali wahdahu. Imam Abu Dawud ibn Majah and Imam Ahmad have related this. What they're saying essentially, we take the first three surahs, which means Surah Al-Baqarah, Surah Ali Imran, and Surah Al-Nisa. Right? We take these, then we take the five surahs afterwards, then we take the next seven surahs, then we take the next eleven surahs, then we take the next thirteen surahs, and then we leave the mufassal and we read that together. So this is basically saying that how do you divide um, your... Quran reading, like if you want to finish it in a week, for example, how do you divide it up? So they're saying that we read first the three surahs together, the first three, Surah Baqarah, Surah Ali Imran, Surah An-Nisa, then the next five, then the next seven, the next nine, the next eleven, the next thirteen, and then the Mufassalat from Surah Al-Hujarat until the end. So that's over seven days, that's the way they do it. I have not been able to check, but the hizbs that you see published, printed in our Qurans, maybe this is very similar to that. This is very similar to that. Also, the other thing that just proves this, which um, you might be saying, why are we belaboring this point? But it's important to understand these things, is that what proves that this is something that was taken from the Prophet wasallam is that if you look at the Qur'an and you look at the Hawamim, remember the Hawamim, that's just the plural name of the Hamims, right? There's quite a few Hamims. They, um, all the Hamim, are together, right? So all the Hamims, they're all together. Hamim al Quran al Majid, they're all one after the other. They're not scattered. There's no surahs in between. The Hamims are all together. Likewise, the the Tawasins, which plurally they call Tawasin, the Hawamim, the Tawasin as a collective name. So the Tawasins are all together, right? So the Hamims and Tawasins are together. Tawasin, Tawasimim, all of these, they're all together. However, the musabbihat are not together. Now you're wondering what are the musabbihat? Some of you will already know that. Do you know what the musabbihat are? They are the surahs that start with sabbah lillah, a tasbih, glorification of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you've got 
You've got You've got So anything to do with the glorification in the surah starts Sabbaha, Yusabihu, Sabbih. All of these are called the Musabbihat, those that are done to glorify Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with because it starts off with a tasbih. Right? It starts off with the tasbih. And Surah Al-Hadid, I think, has the longest of the tasbihs of any of the musabihat. In those, the, 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 uh, if the tasins are all together, one after the other, in succession, likewise the hawamims are together, then why aren't the musabihat together? The musabihat are not together. You've got them, in, uh, you've got, you, you've got them with other surahs in between that are not of the musabihat. Right? So, for example... You've got Taseen, uh, Surah Al-Shu'ara, sorry, Taseen Meem, Surah Al-Shu'ara, and Taseen Meem, Surah Al-Qasas. That's been separated by, so that's, so the, while the Taseens, the, the Tawaseen are all together, that includes Taseen and Taseen Meem, right? But if it was somebody who did it later and wanted to put logical order, not just whatever he heard from the Prophet ﷺ, then the Tawaseens would have been organized according to Taseen and Taseen Meme as well. However, they're not because you've got two Taseen Memes Taseen Meme Surah Al Shu'ara and Taseen Meme Surah Al Qasas, and in between is Surah Al Naml, which is just Taseen. So otherwise, it would have been Taseen Memes and then the Taseen. But no, there's a Taseen in between two Taseen Memes, right? Even though Surah Al Naml is actually shorter, so it's logically should have been later, but it's there. That proves that this order which um, is this way has to be from the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So they would have, uh, I mean, they have put the, uh, they would have also put the musabbihat together, but they did not do that, and they would have uh, sorted out the tasins in that sense if it was organized. So that's what you learn from there. And uh, the the last point I want to mention on this is that many of the scholars throughout they've actually mentioned the connections between surahs. So how the previous surah is connected to the next surah. Like the, sometimes there's a major theme right towards the end of the surah or the full surah and how it's connected to the name, uh, next surah and they've shown the organizations in between and so on. That again shows and proves that this, um, because they're very cohesive, they're in harmony, the organization is harmony as well. That just shows that also... Um, the, the, this is something that the Prophet ﷺ had insisted on and it was divinely ordained. Plus, this is exactly how our Mus'haf has been until today, over the, over the course of so many years. Now today I'm going to start off the next discussion which is Asbabun Nuzul. This is a really, really interesting discussion. right? Asbab is plural of sabab. It means, it means means, causes. right? It means the causes. And Nuzul means revelation. So, what we've got here is we've got asbabun nuzul, meaning the means of revelation, the causes for revelation. Uh, in other words, the circumstances under which various verses or surahs were revealed. Because as you know, we've been discussing for the last two days that the Quran came down over 23 years and it came down, most of it came down, well, it came down based on questions that were asked or certain circumstances that prevailed at the time or to provide a guidance about something else. So now, what the ulama have tried to do and the muhaddithin have done this, meaning the hadith scholars have done this, is that they've tried to compile together in one place all of 
the reasons for revelation. That it was this incident that took place and this surah came down or this verse came down. Right? Or this set of verses came down. I have mentioned some of them to you already. So that's called Asbab al-Nuzul. There are books on this subject, right? Separate category of books on this subject. And otherwise, what you'll do is you'll actually find in the Hadith collections, you'll find uh, the Hadith regarding this, right? So they may not be separate books, but then you have separate books about this as well. So what is a Sabab al-Nuzul? Essentially, a Sabab al-Nuzul is مَا نَزَلَتِ الْآيَةُ أَوِ الْآيَاتُ تَتَحَدَّثُ عَنْهُ أَيَّامَ وَقُوعِهِ It is uh, the event... Uh, when it is an event in regarding which one verse or a cluster of verses have been uh, transmitted uh, discussing it during the time of that event. So essentially that's what it is. Now that is the most important part here, that the surah or the verse must have come down for that particular event. That's what makes that a suburb. That's what makes that a suburb. You can't say that guidance so in while guidance is a reason for why why the quran came down but that is not in this category this category is talking about particular reasons particular circumstances for why a surah or whatever or verses would be revealed not why the quran was revealed as a whole that's a different idea right which we know anyway you see many many verses in the quran they talk about past events like musa salam's story pharaoh's story uh, Nuh salam story, Adam salam story. That th- you can't say that that's a suburb that it came down to mention that story because that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the current theme, the cu- sorry, the current uh, circumstance, the current need event that was taking place, due to which a, a verse came down to give some information and guidance about it. That's what we're talking about. The entire Quran, meaning every single verse in there, you can't say that. Every single verse in there came down because of an event. Because um, that, that was not the case. Many surahs, many verses were revealed because of a certain event, but not all of it. So you will find many, many surahs, many verses in the Quran where there'll be no event recorded as to why it came down. But it came down, right? Not because of a particular event. Uh, most of the stories of the prophets are like that. They ne- didn't necessarily come down because of an event, although sometimes they did, right? If there was a, si- uh, a situation that was talking about. So, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud anhu has a major claim because aside from the, the two major scholars of tafsir from the Sahaba, right, the, whose name is out there and who've got numerous hadiths to their name is Abdullah ibn Abbas anhu, who the Prophet made dua for, that Allah teach him the kitab and give him the understanding of the interpretation of it. And the other one was Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu an. These two are the top, right? Then there's obviously many others like Ali radiallahu an, Ubaid ibn and all of that. But these two, they, their name shines out above the rest. And one of the reasons uh, for that, right? One of the reasons for that is Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu an, who made a lot of efforts, right? He really, this was his uh, main occupation, it seemed. So he says... That wallahi ma nazalat ayatun illa wa ana a'lamu fi man nazalat. Wallahi, there's no verse which has been, every verse that was revealed, I know exactly what it was revealed for, when it was revealed, and so on and so forth. And he says that if I was able to hear and learn about somebody who knew something about it that I did not know, and I could get there on horseback, for example, I would go. That's how diligent he was. I mean, he was a master of this. Now, that seems to indicate 
under apparent uh, under apparent idea of it that every he knew every verse's reason no that's not true because every verse did not have a reason he's saying every verse in which there is a reason reported then i know it i've gathered everything in which there is a reason but there were many that were not known for example when it's discussing the day of judgment uh, things about the hereafter they were they were just revealed just like that necessarily sometimes they may have been revealed because of a particular situation why should you know about the asbab al nuzul why were they discussed why did ulama write so many books about them and really pay attention to them what's the benefit of it well there is a reason for that and subhanallah one of the reasons for it is that there are some verses which are obscure in their meaning right if you take them too generally they're very obscure but when you see the cause for their revelation the circumstances in which they were revealed it makes it very clear what it means because the quran sometimes employs very general language right very general language so you get confused what is this talking about is this what's mentioned here this message is it universally applied everywhere is it for a particular situation i'll give you some examples of this and inshallah this will help you when you take a tafsir and you start reading the quran from a translation and you you are trying to make some sense of it okay so the benefit is that if you know what the sabab is the the means are then you can see the connection and it then informs you of the background of something when you know the background of something clearly that's enriching your experience enriching your knowledge as well so that's why ibn taymiyyah rahimahullah, rahimahullah also says that knowledge of the causes of revelation really really assist in understanding the verses right because obviously when you know the means of something what it co- what what's causing something then you'll you'll understand better what is being caused by it likewise another great scholar ibn daqiq al-eid he says understanding or mentioning clarifying the reasons for revelation is a tariqun qawiyyun fi fahmi ma'ani al-quran it's a very very powerful method of understanding the meaning of the quran so you cannot become you know really good at understanding the meaning without understanding the reasons so for example if you look at Uh, Mufti Taqi Usmani's uh, The Noble Quran that's just been published recently, right? Um, he generally mentions the cause for revelation under many of the verses, right? So his, he doesn't have too many comments, but where he does, he generally mentions why a certain surah or why certain verses. So it's, uh, that, that really, really helps you to put things in perspective. I've, I've checked it out. It really helps to put things in perspective. Number two, you you uh, the other benefit of knowing the causes of revelation is that you'll start understanding the wisdom for which certain laws have come through because when you see the cause of revelation what happened for example there was that case an altercation between um uh, there was an incident when ali radiyallahu anhu was told to lead the prayer and he had just been drinking before that in early islam when he was allowed to drink as i mentioned earlier and um he messed up the verses right in terms of the order that it was revealed so then a surah, uh, the, the verse was revealed okay la taqrabu salata wa antum sukara right you're not allowed to come close to prayer while you're intoxicated so again a lot of sahaba stopped drinking then but it had not been prohibited yet there's numerous cases like that right where you understand uh, some of these things uh, you you also understand how things were done slowly so you can actually learn from that number 3 uh, when you don't know the meaning uh, when you don't know the cause of revelation you could get confused by the meaning 
as to what it's trying to say, the purport of it. What is the signification of this? I'll give you an example, right? There was a, a person who was, uh, whose name was Marwan ibn al-Hakam. Marwan ibn al-Hakam was like a minister of, uh, very close to Uthman radiallahu anhu. He was not a Sahabi, right? But you could call him a Tabi'i in that sense. And he's actually then the head of the Marwanid dynasty afterwards because Abdul Malik ibn Marwan, his son, becomes the big Khalifa afterwards, later on. So Marwan ibn al-Hakam, regarding the verse in Surah Ali Imran, verse 188, Allah says, لا تحسبن الذين يفرحون بما أتوا ويحبون أن يحمدوا بما لم يفعلوا فلا تحسبنهم بمفازة من العذاب ولهم عذاب أليم Those people who get really excited and exult with what they've been given and they love to be praised, right? even about things that they did not do, right? they should, you should not think that they will be saved from the fire, sorry, from the punishment. In fact, for them it's a severe punishment. So, Marwan al-Hakam got a bit worried and he says that, you know, many people get excited about things that they've been given. Like, if I've achieved something, I get excited about it. And there's people also who like to be praised about things that they've not necessarily done. And if that is the case, then we're all going to be punished because we're probably all guilty of, you know, this kind of excitement sometimes or the other. Right? So he got really worried about this. Because the apparent uh, translation of the verse, that's what it indicates. Then Ibn Abbas anhu came along and said, no, 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 this, this is not to be taken generally. This was a, actually about a very specific event. What happened is, that there was a group of the people of the book, the Ahlul Kitab, who'd come. To the Prophet ﷺ asked them about something. There was something the Prophet ﷺ needed to find out. So the Prophet ﷺ asked them about the reality of something, about an event or something, and they concealed it. And instead, they gave him some other information. They gave him the wrong information. Now, after that gathering, after that meeting, they left, and they were quite excited and quite, uh, you know, satisfied by in their mind thinking uh, uh, sorry in their mind uh, would you call it uh, having deceived the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam right they th- th- that's what they thought that they had deceived the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam so they were quite excited in their mind right this verse came down regarding them that this is about them that they're going to be severely punished this is not talking about you know somebody who gets a bit excited and we shouldn't get too excited we should always think that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving everything but it's not going to be punishing you know punishable if if we do i think that ties in this particular point ties in with what we've been saying before that even though though the quran came down over 23 years for different causes and reasons uh, it still you know uh, makes perfect sense and it's still in harmony and so on and so forth. I'm not going to talk about that one uh, again. Now, what I want to quickly mention is some of the ways to how to figure out the sababun nuzul. What, how, where do we find these uh, causes of revelation from? If you want to find them, 
Number one, this is not one thing that we can say for sure is that this is something that you can only understand through the Prophet and the Sahaba regarding the exact events. This is not something that you can make up. This is not something you can acquire rationally and say, hey, I think this is what was going on and that's why this uh, verse was revealed because that makes no sense. It's either there was an event that took place or there wasn't, right? And you can't just mix this up. You can't just make this up. So this has to be uh, something that is being transmitted to us. That's why there's various uh, narrations about this of uh, people uh, of the of the tabi'in etc. warning against this. Now, one thing is that uh, we learn this from the Sahaba and the tabi'in, primarily from them because they're the ones who were there at the time who were trying to figure this out. They were part uh, a lot of the time. Uh, they knew about the event that took place and the circumstance. So now if a Sahabi, a companion says that this is the reason for the revelation of it and he doesn't say the Prophet wasallam or whatever, we're still going to assume that that is exactly what happened. That he's just not mentioning that the Prophet wasallam said this but the only way that he would have figured this out was probably because the Prophet wasallam said it. So that would be like a hadith. And likewise if the Tabi'i said that you would assume that they've heard a Sahabi telling them that. However, you have to be careful. We're now getting into hadith studies. We're now getting into hadith territory because now all of this becomes hadith. Now when it comes to hadith, there are, there's criteria that you have to understand about whether you can accept the hadith or not and the grading of hadith. So everything that is purported to be from the Prophet ﷺ is going to be graded at, okay, this, this hadith or these hadith, they are absolutely, um, we're going to agree with them that they are absolutely authenticated. They're the Sahih narrations. Then there's the ones which are acceptable and sound, which are called Hassan narrations. And then you've got the weak ones which are doubtful, right? But most likely they're right, but they're doubtful. And then you've got those who have been graded as fabricated that we know that there's a problem in here, right? A major problem in here. So let me give you some examples of this. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَأَنْفِقُوا فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ وَلَا تُلْقُوا بِأَيْدِيكُمْ إِلَى التَّهْلُكَةِ Now this, وَلَا تُلْقُوا بِأَيْدِيكُمْ إِلَى التَّهْلُكَةِ is a very, very misquoted verse, right? Or clause, part of the verse. Allah says, spend in the path of Allah and do not, with your very hands, with your own very hands, destroy yourself or put your, throw yourself into destruction. Now, I've heard this, had, this verse being used so many times saying that, okay, if you are, for example, sick or if this happens, then make sure that you don't destroy yourself with your own very hands by fasting, for example or by praying, or whatever. And sometimes it's just completely misrepresented because this verse came down for a different reason. It was about uh, fighting in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? So now, Imam Bukhari has quoted from Hudayfa radiallahu anhu. He said that this was revealed regarding spending. This was revealed regarding spending, not about anything else. What we have to be careful about here is from many... Uh, now, we're going to take our sabab al-nuzul from the Sahaba and Tabi'een. However... If a Sahabi or a Tabi'i says that Nazalat fi kada, that this verse was revealed about this event, in this event, that does not necessarily mean that it is the cause of its revelation. They use the same word for that as well, but not always. They also use the same word, the same expression, to say that this surah or these verses were revealed about a particular subject. It's two different things. These verses were revealed about this event. 
But as Hudayfa radiallahu anh said here, these, this verse was revealed regarding spending in the path of Allah. So he's talking about the subject matter which is not the cause of revelation. So you should not get confused. Um, when you see a Sahabi saying that, oh, this was revealed about this, it doesn't mean that this was the cause of the revelation. It just means that, oh, this is the topic that this, these verses cover. This is the subject matter of it. So one has to be very careful about that. I'll give you one example of where, because now this is all hadith study, you have to be careful about the status of that narration. So let's, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Ali Imran, uh, Surah Al-Baqarah, وَلِلَّهِ الْمَشْرِقُ وَالْمَغْرِبُ فَأَيْنَمَا تُوَلُّوا فَثَمَّ وَجْهُ اللَّهِ For Allah is the east and the west. Both the east and west belong to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In whichever direction you face, then there is the countenance of Allah. Now, there is a narration which Imam Muslim has related from Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu uh, anhu. He says that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa would pray when he is on his way to Mecca from Medina Munawwara, he's on his way to Makkah Mukarramah from Medina Munawwara, he would pray upon his, uh, his mount, his camel, his horse, whatever it was, in whichever direction the animal was facing. And about this, it is about this, that this verse was revealed, that seems to indicate that this is the cause for its revelation. This is a hadith of Muslim, right? Now, there's another hadith which tells you something slightly different. That one is related by Imam Tirmidhi and he, Imam Tirmidhi himself has said it's weak narration. It's not a strong narration. That this verse was revealed regarding, some, uh, regarding the person who they're not sure which way Qibla is. You go to a new place and you don't know which way Qibla is. So you make an effort, oh, the sun is in that direction, is going down in the west and so on, so Qibla must be this way. Or you look around and think, okay, it must be this way. So you make your best effort and then you, um, you face, but then you make a mistake, right? You actually, it turns out to be wrong. So he's saying that your Salat, and that is the fatwa, the Salat will be valid. Your Salat, as long as you've made the best effort to figure out which way the Qibla is, and then you prayed, and then after the prayer, somebody told you or you found out, that actually I prayed wrong, your salat would still be valid. Yeah, if you found out in the middle, you'd have to, you know, that, that's when it's messed up. But otherwise, if you find out afterwards, your salat is done. That's just made easy for us. So according to Tirmidhi, this verse, verse came down for that reason. However, it's actually the first reason, because that hadith is sahih, and that is more authenticated, that it actually came down because the Prophet ﷺ was... Uh, going in that, uh, you know, praying on. And that is what it is. Today, if you're sitting on a bus, you're sitting in a car outside your town, you can't do this in town, outside your town or city, outside your area, and you're traveling. For example, I'm going from here to, Burmi uh, to Birmingham. I can actually sit in the seat, even though I'm not going to be facing the Qibla because Qibla is more uh, from Birmingham to London direction, and I'm going in the northern direction, right? Qibla in England is southeast. So I'm facing the opposite direction. I can do nuffle prayers in the car. I can do nafal prayers sitting in a bus, sitting in a flight, in whichever direction. I cannot do fard like that though, right? So um, that explains uh, one of those. There's a few other reasons which we'll inshallah cover in the next session that uh, sometimes you actually find out that there's more than one cause for a single verse uh, or a verse was uh, revealed for more than one reason, 
right? And how to put all of that, uh, you know, how to understand that all uh, and uh, then some of the sources for this information. Inshallah, we will uh, look at that tomorrow and I'll give you some examples of this. Jazakallah khair. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala illuminate us and bless us and allow the Quran to be infused in our life and allow us to be uh, practitioners of the Quran. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless your Ramadans and make this Ramadan better than any Ramadan before it. Jazakallah khair. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Jazakallah khair for listening. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, bless you. And if you're finding this useful, you know, um, uh, as they say, do that like button and subscribe button and forward it on to others. Jazakallah khair and assalamu alaikum. Wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.